All right, well, you may be seated. This is going to be chapter 13, the final chapter of 2 Corinthians. Uh, and Paul was making his final uh, case by giving some advice, final advice. You know, and, uh, you know, sometimes when we look back at the Corinthians and all the letters that Paul had written, you know, uh, we can see that there were times when uh, he said some things that were very confrontational. And we're going to kind of see this in the wrap-up tonight. You know, every now and then you have to confront things that, that come against the gospel. And, and we noticed that this trend that we've been seeing uh, in this study is that there was always false teachers out there. There was always those who was trying to discredit him uh, as a man of God, even though he had founded this church in Corinth. They had allowed people to come in and started to turn them away. And because of his great love uh, for this church, he was determined that he was going to stay with them and continue to pray for them in spite of what they put him through. And so uh, we're going to see here tonight that he give them some advice and bring some of that back to their remembrance. Uh, and, and he give us a couple nuggets in here that I think we'll find that is uh, uh, food for thought for us to talk about and discuss a little bit and see uh, where we go from there. So again, this is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're calling it Paul's final bit of advice. Advice. Now, when you hear the word advice, what, what, what does that mean to you? Anybody got a mic uh, close to a mic and you just want to hear your, your answer is your answer. When you hear someone say you're giving someone advice, what does that normally come to mind when you hear that advice? Anybody? Anybody? Nobody? Okay, well, somebody tell them what they think advice is. And to prepare you for what's up. Okay, give some people some information or some guidance, yeah, that may prepare people for something. Sometimes advice come in the form of recommendation. You know, you talk to people and you can recommend a course of action uh, in a particular situation. And so there are many opportunities where we have in our, uh, especially those of us who deal with our, our children, young people, uh, you have an opportunity to give them advice. You know, whether or not they take your advice is one thing, but at least you know you gave it to them. And so, so it's important for us to always see ourselves as, as God has blessed us with a certain level of knowledge and insight and, and, and common sense and practicality, then we ought to be willing to share advice with those who may need advice. Amen? And good advice is, is, is not good if you don't share it. And, and sometimes you're going to have to uh, get it in your heart and your mind that whether or not the person follow your advice is not on you. Amen. It's your job to try to share the advice. And then if they choose to adhere to it and follow it, then that's one thing. But if they choose to disregard it, then it's on them. But you don't want to find yourself in a position where you should have given someone some advice and you, and you got to go shoulda, woulda, coulda, you know. Brother Major. So, Pastor, like, so let's say, you know, you're under the impression that, okay, I'm giving somebody some good advice, and this person sees you at a, as a person, you know, but you ain't living the advice you're giving. Okay. So, 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 therefore, now, you have to give me a better example. Just say, okay, that person may see you as being hypocritical. 
Right. You, right. You're giving them advice, but you're not following. Uh, let me, like example, you're trying to tell your kids, hey, you know, uh, when you grow up, don't smoke. But you write that smoking in front of them. <laughs> you're giving them good advice, but you just ain't following. So, so if you're giving them good advice, you would hope they would take your advice and not follow your example. So just because you're doing something and, and, or may not be doing something, don't limit you from being able to share good advice with somebody. But, but, okay, so does your good advice mean less if you're hypocritical about it? Like, would, would someone be more apt to say, you know, hey, Brother Fred told me don't do this, but, man, I see him. So if it ain't working for him, it's just like, it's just like when, we, when we spread the gospel and we say, hey, you know what? You know, your life would be better if you didn't drink or you, you didn't get drunk. But then they see me going to striving, coming to Bible study, but I'm getting drunk. That don't mean what I, you're I know telling them is mean not, good, not advice. good advice. But I'm, I'm saying just, I think people are more apt. And we had this discussion before, I think. <laughs> <laughs> to follow advice, good advice, if the person that's giving the advice is at least living it or making it more believable that it works. Because how can we say, you know, this will change your life. This will, you shouldn't be doing this. And the person looking at me like, Major, you, but, but you, you, ain't doing, you ain't doing what you're telling me to do. And I understand what you're trying to say, Major, but I, don't, I wouldn't let that hinder you from giving somebody uh, receiving good advice. If it's good advice, I wouldn't let that hinder you from receiving it. It's still good advice, no matter who you're getting it from. But, but, but that... Yeah, and we already said that makes us hypocritical. But that's, that's like the old saying, you do as I say, don't do what I do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I used to say about my granddad when he gave me advice and he tell us something, but he, but he did it. But in, in the long run, what he gave was good advice. You know, it was good advice not to get caught up in alcohol. And see, granddad used to party all the time. And, 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 that, and it was around the house all the time. But he used to tell us, don't get caught up in this. You don't want to drink alcohol. Well, I took his advice. Even though he was, they had parties all the time, they did that. I tried it, you know, one night at a party, I went in there and slipped, got me a little taste of something, and it, and it burnt me up so bad going down, I said, well, I don't want that no more. Granddaddy right. I took his advice. So I said, okay, I came through the rest of my time, for the most part, without drinking. So I can remember the only time I've ever, well, two times in my whole life I've ever been what I consider drunk. You know, when I didn't take granddad's advice, and I think once when I graduated from basic training, you know, I figured I was going to go out and party and celebrate and drink me a, a whole bottle of Anna Green Spring or Boone Farm, whichever one it was back then, for you give a 77 cent, you know, <laughs> for a bottle. And, and I remember just falling in a ditch somewhere on Lackland, you know, that was, and I can remember that like it was yesterday. And then I think the next one when I made either Master Sergeant or Tech Sergeant, you know, I made it quick, I figured I was going to you know, down some Chevys, you know, and so I, I tried to down the whole bottle in one night. And that, that's the only two times in my whole life. But I remember granddad's advice, don't get drunk, man. You don't want to get caught up in it. And so for the most I, part... I guess, I, I guess I, I'm like foundational. Say, like, if you grew up in a household where you didn't see people doing that, and they said, so you would automatically know, you'd be like, okay, you know, I don't see anybody doing this in my family. So, so then I wouldn't wait till I'm 20. He said, you know what? What granddaddy told me was right. I would, I would probably be more apt to say, okay, 
I've never seen mom and dad drink, drunk, arguing, any of that stuff. So, okay. But if I, if I see it, even though they're telling me don't do it, eventually I'm going to do it because I've seen them do it. But on the other side of that major, there have been some kids that come up in homes so where mom and dad didn't do none of that. And mom and dad tell them, be like us. And those kids still went out there and didn't take the advice. Okay, Fred, go ahead. Yeah, Pastor, but, you know, like Major is saying, it's good advice, but if you're doing it, how effective is that advice? You know, the Bible says, before you get the motor out of your brother's eye, first get the beam out of your own eye. So if I'm doing it, but I'm advising you not to, how effective am I being if you see me doing it? Now, that's two different arguments, Fred. Fred. Yeah. Let's not argue whether or not the advice is effective. Let's just argue to say it's good advice. You know, you can be a perfect person and give good advice and don't mean folk gonna follow it. But we just gotta say we're in a position where we ought to be giving people good advice. Regardless, we ought to be giving them good advice. And, and I think even a, pa a bad parent would normally give their kids good advice. Brother Mike? I'm drinking, but it's not good. You have to let them know. Don't, don't try to hide behind it, like pretending that you're not doing it, and you try to give somebody an advice. It is left to them. I remember one time I was in a vaccine condition, and the other guys were with construction man. And I would not tell them anything about the gospel. They knew who I was. And I said, I cannot tell you all about the gospel. I can witness to you all. They said, no, we want you to witness to us. I said, my life is not an example. They said, no, we want you to tell us. And all of them will listen to me after that. But if they knew I was trying to tell them something and my life wasn't right, they wouldn't want to hear me. So what I'm saying is, if you make it straight to the person and you said, I'm caught up in drinking, I shouldn't be drinking, but this is what drinking costs. They will listen to you because you're not, you're not pretending something. So that's something different. Okay, so again, being genuine, hey, even though I'm telling you not to do it, I'm doing it. I'm doing it, but this is wrong. Yeah, I got you. Amen. Okay. Okay. So let's look at this. Let's look at what Paul said. He says, this is the third time I am coming to visit you. So, you know, we done heard all the arguments back and forth in the previous book and this book, you know, about Paul going to visit them and he was kind of upset how he was treated and some of the things they did and the false teachers. So he says, now, this is the third time I'm coming to visit you. And as the scripture says, the facts of every case must be presented by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Then he says, I have already warned you, those who have been sinning, when I was there on the, my second visit. Okay, he says, now I again warn you, or warn them and all others, just as I did before, that next time I will not spare them. So now I've been there twice, and y'all done read, we done been through First Corinthians, y'all understand what was going on in the church there, some of the things he tried to correct, some of the disorder that was going on, all that, and so now he come back and, and, and bring this letter to a close by telling them, I have already warned you, you know, and, and then when we look at this, he says, the facts 
of every case. Now, when I hear the word case, I, I think like, you know, today you can go out there and catch a case. You, you know, y'all hear that terminology, you know, you do something, you know, call the case. And, and case is normally a legal term. That means that someone got to adjudicate, adjudicate the case, and you got, in order to do that, he's saying, look, the facts of every case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So he's saying, taking a, a, a text from Deuteronomy 19, and Jesus has said, you know, if your brother sinned against you, you know, try to correct, correct him. If he don't listen, you go and get another brother, and then if not, get another brother. Take a witness to get everything established. So that's why in our court system, you stand a better chance of winning your case if you got some witnesses. Amen. And so he's saying now, every case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So he's making it look like when I come there, I, I may be some trial action going on. And, and, and if we have to have that situation, then we're going to have to have facts and the proof that go along with it by the, the words of two or three witnesses. Amen. So that's why I tell you, you, you just don't run off on one person saying something to you about it. You ought to ask them, who else can substantiate what you're saying? Because one person can lie and you run off with it when you ought to say, well, let, can, you got another witness or two. Can, can we establish this? See, sometimes if, if we would take this and apply this a lot of gossiping, the church would be a whole lot better. We just run off with one witness. And don't even, that's right, don't even check the facts and see if it's true. And we run with it. And then now when you run with it with no second or third witness, and then it turned out to be a lie, it's hard to bring the lie back, man. I mean, lies run much faster than the truth. And once they get out there, it's, more, it's harder to correct a lie. Amen. And so therefore, he said, now look, so he warned them, he's going to establish everything by the testimony of two or three witnesses. He says, I have already warned you. So I mean, he coming back. I'm already told you this one. Here he's kind of like a child, you know, a, talk, a parent talking to a child. You know, some of us have heard our parents say, you know, boy, I done told you about that one time. That's a warning. That's right. I, I told you not to do that one time. I done told you not to do this one time. Well, you know, dad or mom may give you two warnings. Because most parents, even, even a bad parent, don't slam dunk you on the first time. <laughs> they will most times, most, nine out of ten parents going to give you a warning. Boy, you better not do that again. And all of us have heard that. And sometimes we heed the warning, and sometimes we don't. That's right. then, so, so now when we don't listen to the warning, and we keep on doing what daddy told us not to do, sooner or later there are going to be some consequences. If dad got, you know, if dad got any authority at all, there's going to be some consequences. That's right. And so Paul has said, hey, look, I have already warned those who have been sinning, I-N-G, that means these are folks who was practicing. This is not, now, you know, everybody make a mistake every night, even save folk. That's right. But continuously sinning means that I-N-G means that this is something that we, we just have made a habit out of it. And we're just doing it. And so he's saying, now look, those who have been sinning when I was there on the, my second visit, now I again warn them and all others 
just as I did before, that next time I will not spare them. Now, Paul was trying to, you know, he was, he was, he was bowing up a little bit. Now, he was trying to flex his, his, his authority as an apostle, and, and that's the founder of this church. He says, I done gave you warnings. I done gave you warnings. Now, the next time when I have to come down and deal with you, I ain't going to spare these guys. We're we going to have to do something. Now, he never tells us what he does here in this letter, but he do allude to the fact that he was going to exercise his authority as an apostle. As a, as a leader of, an, of that particular church and the founder of that church, he was saying, hey, look, when I come back, I got the authority to do certain things. And so it's no different than in any organization that you have ground rules. You know, in the military, they gave us guidelines. These are things you can do and can't do. And there were some people in that who could enforce those guidelines, enforce those rules. And so, so he was saying here, I gave you a warning, and even in the military, they don't always take your stripe the first time, unless you just did something real crazy. But if it's a minor offense, most times you may even give them just a warning, a, a verbal reprimand, warning. Then they may give you next time major, a letter of reprimand, something written down. But then the third time, they may say, hey, man, look, we're going to take some money, we're going to take a strike, we're going to do something. Because you didn't get the warning. And so, therefore, we got to understand when, whenever God has given us a warning through his word, through a word that is preached, through your studying and, and you reading this word, and he's giving you a warning and you receive that in your spirit, then he's saying, look here, he, he ain't going to warn us for so many times. Now, he's a good God, he's a loving God, but he has a way of punishing us too. Amen. And so, so Paul is saying, hey, the next time, I will not spare them. Look at verse 3. He says, I will give you all the proof, again, a legal term, the proof you want that Christ speaks through me. Christ is not weak when he deals with you. He is powerful and um, he is powerful among you. In other words, Paul was letting them know that even though he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that because it appeared that Christ was weak because of the way he suffered, the way he died, people take that as a sign of weakness. And he was saying that, hey, even though that's how he went out, don't look at that as he was weak. He was being obedient to the Father, so therefore by human standards, it, it looked like he died like some weak sinner and not the Savior of the world. And so he's saying, hey, when y'all look at that, I've been preaching this gospel to you, but I will give you some proof that, that, that Christ is not weak when he deals with you. He is powerful among you. And so now the way we sense Christ's power in our lives is through the word and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And that's why we have to study God's word. That's why we have to rely on the Holy Spirit and believe that there is power in the spirit. That, 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 that he has power, and then because of that, that power should influence us. Amen. But now, even though he has power, like God, he is not going to make you do something you don't want to do. So you have to bring your will in agreement with God's will. Amen. And see, that's why we have to be submissive when it comes to trying to walk in obedience to the word of God. And it's not always easy. And God know that. 
But that's why he sent the Spirit to be a helper to us, to be a guide, to be a teacher, so that he can help us through these difficult times that we go through in life. Amen. Now, look, now, look, now look at this. He says in, in verse 4, he says, Although he was crucified in weakness, he now lives by the power of God. Then he says, we too are weak, just as Christ was. But when we deal with you, we will be alive with him and will have God's power. So Paul was saying, look, here, even though, you know, I've just been preaching this humble gospel to you and, and trying to carry myself like Jesus, Man, if y'all still cutting the food when I get back there, <laughs> I'm going to show y'all I got some strength. I got the power of the Holy Spirit. E even though I'm preaching a gospel that y'all think is weak and, and, and don't have no strength and no power to it, so therefore you can just do anything and say you are a child of God, then when I get back there, I'm, I'm going to show you that there is some strength in the gospel. And, and see, sometimes... You know, uh, it, it, just think about it like your kids. I think all of you who have raised kids and who have been, if you remember how your parents raised you, at some point in time, even the mildest, nicest parents, you know, going to flex and get some strength. Now, today, they don't do it like granddaddy and them used to do it. You know, my granddaddy will flex in a minute on you. I mean, my, you know, and granddaddy, when, when he went there, Whatever he found was going to be the instrument of use. Now, today, you know, we couldn't do that. But, man, granddad would pick up a broom, and, and you're you in trouble. I mean, I done gave you the warning, and now here's the results of your disobedience. Man, I done got what with an extension cord, <laughs> a broom, a coat hanger. I mean, today, that will be child abuse. We can't do that today. They're, they're called DHS or whoever, Department of Human Services, Families and Children or whatever. But back in the day, we didn't know that. We just thought that was the way they, they, they executed punishment. And so guess what? Being born into that, that's the way I raised my kids. They, see, granddaddy didn't know nothing about time out and go to the corner. Wasn't no phone to take away from me, you know? I ain't have a lot of toys. So he couldn't take that. All he could do is get a pound of flesh. And so that's how he got punished. So now I'm not saying that was right, you know, or wrong, but that's how I raised my kids. Now my grandsons are being raised in a whole different mindset. You know, they, they negotiate. They do. That means from the rascal, they, they negotiate. Back and forth, they go back and forth. We, man, we didn't dare to negotiate with granddaddy. I mean, when he said it, that was law. You were going to do it. But now kids negotiate. And that may be a good thing that we're teaching kids negotiating skills when they're three and four years old. But at some point in time, parents got to be parents. Amen. Man, a three-year-old ain't got, don't know enough about the world to negotiate. I mean, I mean, but again, if that's working for you, go ahead. But that ain't how we were brought up. So, so we, we, we didn't have a problem when it come to punishing and, and using power. And granddad made sure he wasn't weak. 
And Paul said, look, when I come, I know I preach this gospel and I talk about Jesus, I talk about his death and how he died, and it makes him look like he was weak. And you know, people today will use that as an argument to say, why are you a Christian following a religion where the guy that you hold in high esteem got crucified on the cross? And now that's proof. Some people say they stole his body. You can't even prove he got up. And now that's where your faith got to be strong. You got to say, in spite of what other people are saying, and in spite of how they depict him, I still have faith in him. I still trust him. I still believe in him. And and so what we got to say is that I'm believing in someone who uh, came across as being a weakling, but he was the savior of the world. And, And no other religious figure has ever done that. And so what we see here is that we can't allow people to present Jesus as being weak just because he was crucified. Because he took the beat down for us. We can't allow that to come across like he was too weak. We got to tell the whole story. He got up. And the Bible says he got up with all power and authority in his hands. And, And so we have to stand on that and believe that as a truth. Because if we don't believe that as a truth, then now we will walk around thinking that the God that we serve and the religion that we are part of is inferior to some other form of worship. He says this, in verse 5, conversation time, the first two words in verse 5 is, examine yourself. Examine yourself. Why? To see if your faith is genuine. So now let's talk about this. Your answer is your answer. Now, when you look at that and you see the word examine, when you examine something, you inspect it or investigate it. That's right. And so what he's telling you, Major, Sister Ruby, to inspect and investigate yourself. So now, Major, since you like to talk and you can lead this conversation, what does that inspection look like to you? When he say, Major, inspect and investigate yourself to see if your faith is genuine. So when you take a look at Major, what is there in your life that you can look at and you can examine and you can expect to make you believe that your faith is genuine and not fake. So for me, uh, most people say the fruit, but for me, I would look for uh, growth. Am I in the same place I was when I started, when I seek God, as I am now? Have I matured, you know, in my faith? That's for me. It's just like, it's just like school. Am, am I still in the first grade or did I graduate finally? So for me, it's maturity. And, and some of the things that I used to do, I don't do anymore. My mindset is different than it used to be. And that shows me that I've grown. When I think about things and when I do things and I seek God first, I'll say, okay, I, I'm growing, I'm maturing. And, and faith is going to lead me to that. Amen. Okay. And, and again, in this discussion, your answer is your answer. Like they said, it's your truth. And unless you say something that's just flat crazy, 
I'm going to let whatever you say works for you. Because you, he says, examine. Yourself. He didn't say bold and examine, Major. He said, Major, examine yeah. yourself. So you got to do a self-examination yeah. on yourself and see how do you line up when it comes to the gospel. Brother Mike? Yeah, he's saying, take inventory. Like, look at yourself and prove whether you're in the faith or not. It's almost like you're questioning yourself. And then come to, come to uh, your, own, your own understanding to see if you're in the gospel, if you're saved. Proves, prove yourself and see if you're in the faith or not. So you know you, you, the way that you can prove yourself is to know that you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. And you are not saved by yourself, but you are saved by his grace. And you are in his grace and in his strength. And so you examine yourself and see where you are. And that's, that's what the self-examination is. Okay. Brother Fred? I do that by how do you handle trials and tribulations? How do, you, how do you handle people that do you wrong? Do you look for revenge? Or do you say, well, God, God will take care of this? You know, I mean, uh, uh, when you're going through something and you, you, you're, you're expecting a good outcome, do you look to handle it yourself or do you pray to God to guide and lead you in the way that you should go, hear from the Holy Spirit, and then examine yourself as to whether you're being obedient to the Holy Spirit or not? Amen. Anybody else? I mean, again, your, this is your answer. Your answer is your answer for this part right here. You know, he just said examine yourself. This is self-examination. And, and, and I think because he's telling them that, we have to be able to do self-examination ourselves to know, because I think Major kind of got ahead, because later on he's going to come back and talk about them growing. His concern. So when you do a, a self-examination on yourself, you ought to be able to look back and see where you were 15 years ago when you first got baptized, 20 years, 30 years, 5 years, last week, however long ago, and say, hey, I got a, I got a starting point somewhere. And now, if nothing else, I ought to be able to examine myself based on where I was back then Amen. and what my life Because it's still your mind, though. You ain't, you ain't as old as me, so I know your mind still know. It's on, the, it's on the memory bank up there. It's up there. Everything you done did before Jesus is still up there. Amen. And if you examine yourself and say, okay, bring it back to me, it'll, it'll start coming back. You go back all the way, 10 years old, you can see, man, I remember when we were, I'm, I'm telling them myself, now we were heathen, so, so y'all take this the right way. But 10 years old, now neighbor, we little peeping tongues. That we did at night, we little bad boy. We ain't had nothing better to do, you know, we, we couldn't shoot dice with the big boy. So we were just running around through the neighborhood looking at the windows. That we did, but not be delivered. I'd be happy to deliver from that. But I'm talking about at 10 years old. Now, when I examined myself, I can remember that like it was yesterday. I'm 70 years old now. That was 60 years ago. And I can just see myself running through the, the projects of Bamberhood, standing on garbage cans. <laughs> so don't y'all try to sit here and play me. Y'all gonna say, oh, y'all laughing at me. But just examine yourself. Tell me what you were doing at 10 years old, 15 years old. Come on now, don't try to play me now. Y'all sit here and look at all, look at Brother Herb, got his leg all crossed over there. Look at Brother Herb, come on now, come on now. Y'all ought to work with me right here. Because we talk about examine. See, we quick to examine other folk. But we don't want to examine. I'm glad you grew out of that. Huh? 
you, <laughs> yeah, we got, we got, uh, got over that because some of the some of the folks in the project figured us out. They they said them, them little bad boys running right here at night, and one but so many of us in our neighbors they know who we were, you know. But but yeah, we did some we you know we used to go to cause we we butted up to a white neighborhood, you know we were in the hood and one block over. So at night we just go and appropriate bicycles because they didn't believe in locking their stuff up. So we just run over there and just get us some bicycles. The next day, we don't, we don't remodel them, <laughs> you know what I mean? They got goosenecks on them, banana seats and everything. We don't remodel them bad boys, you know? <laughs> we don't chopped them up, <laughs> and we riding them like they're our bicycles, man. But, but again, I'm examining myself. And say, when I look at that, I say, man, I'm glad I ain't stealing no more. Amen. Brother <laughs> Well, one of the things you said, examine yourself, you said, see, if your faith. Uh-huh. I didn't have no faith in my youth years. If you understand what I'm saying. This is telling me about my faith. Uh-huh. That means have I changed my way as I came and um, being into uh, the faith of Jesus Christ in my life. And what that is, has I been obedient to the things that what I have read, what I need to uh, to walk and and believe on the things of uh, uh, what Paul has also been teaching Corinthians about your walk of being a, a a as a child of God. So that means, am I being obedient of the things that I have learned? Like you said, I don't steal no more. Thou shalt not. I, I don't, I, my, if my mouth is, uh, I got to watch what my mouth say. Don't lie. And so, so that's the part I'm looking at, um, in a sense, to say, when they said examine my faith walk. Amen. I change, have I been obedient to the ways of the way I have learned to be a, a, as a child of God. Amen. So, so he's saying now, if our faith is genuine, true, and we take it sincerely, then the things that Jesus taught us, we ought to be doing. So he, he did tell us, love your enemy. He did say that. He told him, turn the other cheek. Amen. <laughs> Amen. He said, if your brother do something wrong against you, go to him first before you go to anybody else. Amen. See, some of us ain't, ain't grown. When we examine ourselves, we say, man, instead of going to somebody, we go to five other folks before we even get to them. And now it's all over the church. When we should have went to that person first, now they done heard it from five other folks. They mad, you mad. Now the situation all out of hand. And that's one thing I, I see a lot in, in some churches. I won't stay striving. It's like church folks don't like that little rule. If you got an issue with somebody, go to them first but we go to other people with that issue, and then now when that person take it to other people, the person that you got the issue with, by the time you get back to them, it ain't gonna work. Amen. Ain't gonna work. Brother May? You know, one of the things for me was uh, when it says uh, uh, examine yourselves, and then I was thinking like, I would always examine myself against the people that were doing the same thing, 
that I was doing and then wonder why I wasn't growing or hanging with the same crowd but thinking I could change because I'm just examining myself against, you know, that same crowd that's in that same environment. And until I got out of the environment, I was like, man, I can't, I can't believe I, I wasn't growing. Well, you wasn't growing because you was examining yourself against the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah you know, sometimes when we measure ourselves and measure our walk, it is easy for us to measure where we are against someone who's behind us in the race. Right. And therefore, to say, well, okay, I'm better than Major. <laughs> Look what he had. Instead of measuring ourselves against someone who's Amen. more mature than we are. Amen. You know, and to make ourselves look, look good. Right. And, and so Paul said, now look, examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Then he'd come back and say, test yourself. Well, that's another way of saying Examine yourself. Take the test. Give yourself the test and see where you are in the Lord. He said, now look. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Well, man, now that's, that's kind of deep right there. Now, we have never seen Jesus. That's right. So when we read that, how do we know that Jesus Christ is amongst us? It must have something to do with what we find out during the exam examination. Because he come back and say, if he's not, you did what, Major? Failed. <laughs> you failed the test. I mean, if you ain't doing nothing that line up with Jesus, you, you failed the test. You ain't got to get a hundred. <laughs> I mean, you may not get a hundred on the test, but look here. But, but you, you, can't, you can't go through this life with fifties. Fifties is failing. I'm just using a natural analogy in most schools yeah. now. When I was coming up, you know, you had to at least make 60 to get a D. That's right. You know, but D's don't take you too far. You can't even get in college with no D's. Amen. So it, just think about it. If we in a room full of D Christians, we saved, but we live in a D life. Y'all can just use y'all imagination, right? There. I ain't gonna even talk about that. I'm just let y'all think what what does a D look like if you if you say and every time Jesus gives you a great D. Just think what it looks like. I mean, we ought to be at least getting C pluses or C's or stuff. I mean, you know, we can't all be failing the test, man. So somebody gotta be making A's. I mean, somebody gotta be trying to live a little bit like me. Fred, I saw your hand, and I'm just trying to have some fun with it because cause we started talking about taking examination. You cannot make these things relevant to where you are because if not, you're never going to change because the Bible is never going to look like it apply to your life where you are today. And so scripture has to be able to speak to you where you are today. And so you got to determine what does examining your life look like when you compare life before Jesus, life after Jesus, where you were when you started, and where you are now. That's something he says, self-examination. Pastor Bolton can't do that. Now, I can try to judge where you are based on what I see, but that ain't my call. He's the judge. Brother Fred, I saw your hand. I think one good test is, Pastor, it's like when someone do you wrong, and you say you forgive them, do you go back to feeling the same way you did about that person before they 
did you wrong, and you said you forgave me. So if you feel the same way about that person, I think every time you see them, if nothing changed in a way that you felt before they did you wrong, then have you truly, really forgiven them? So are you living according to what the words say? I know you don't forget, but if you forgave, then my feelings toward major shouldn't change. It should be the same once I forgive them. Amen. Amen. And you know, Brother Herb, before I kind of come in, go ahead. I saw you raise your hand. I will say one of the things that uh, um, I think Brother Brother uh, Brother Hyde Major was, was saying, when you, when you go back unto people that you used to hang around with, and, and that is a test to a point where they're either going to see you changed or you didn't change. So to me, that, that's, that's, that's an examination. It's a test to see if they will be able to see there is a change uh, in your life and how you uh, present yourself among them or you fall yourself to a point where you fall back into to the things that were, where you used with what he used to be. Amen. So that's, to me, that's the most examination uh, uh, as a test. Uh, I see that a lot when, uh, <laughs> when you go to prison or jail. Jail ministry, okay. We go to jail ministry. And we, we, we give them the gospel and they, they repent. They say they repent. And the first thing they want to do is go back into the old places. And when they go back in place, and what we see in a couple of weeks or whatever, they're back in the same place again. So obviously, they failed. They, they didn't pass, if you understand what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Because once again, you know, they wasn't ready for it. And uh, when you're not ready for it, then you find yourself that you, know, you, you find yourself right back in here the same, the same way. And of course, we, we warn them, we give them advice. Don't go back in the same place because you ain't ready. Um, so that is an, uh, an example for me when you get yourself tested, if you're really faithful to be able to walk in a way. Amen. You know, in life, when you, you know, a lot of us grow up doing certain things routinely. And when we do things routinely, those things become kind of habits and a part of who we are. And, you know, sometimes it's hard. And that's why, like, like Herbert was saying, people who have been caught up in the, in, the, in, the, in the legal or justice system, end up in prison for whatever reason, if they have been conditioned a certain way in life, that they, that they got a criminal mindset, they already know that a certain percentage of folks going to be repeat offenders. Because their mindset ain't going to change. Even though they do the time, they're going to get out. That's why sometimes some guys, after a long period of time, they just rather stay in in prison, because I can't adjust to being out there because I know I'm going to do something that end up right back here. So I might as well stay back in here where I feel comfortable. I feel like, you know, I'm in an environment that I'm, I can maneuver my way through, but getting back out there in that world and trying to adjust and how fast it changes, you know, that's why, you know, they already know what percentage of people that's going back to jail. And that's why they can program prison. They don't wait till we become criminal. They know folks gonna become criminal. They start building, they start projecting. And, and well, that's a whole nother subject. I don't even want to go there. But you know, 
That's just how our system working. And, and, and when they start programming prisons, then they got to program folk to go there. Yes, sir. I mean, Jimmy, you was in there. You know how that works. So I got to put some laws on the book to go and let Major come. I done built this hotel over here. It's empty. Let me go ahead on. Let me, let me, I don't get off subject. Let's, let, let, let's get back to verse 6. He said, now look, now he, man, he keep going back to this examination and test thing. Look, he said, as you test yourself, maybe he'll assume that you're going to take the test. He make the assumption. Fred, as you test yourself. He says, I hope. I mean, Major, as you test yourself, I have this expectation that you will recognize that we have not failed the test of apostolic authority. So as you test yourself and look at you and look at your growth, and then I want you to recognize through testing yourselves to see that we are operating in the authority that God has given us. And, and, and in my mind, I, couldn't, I can't figure out how does Major testing himself, maybe he tests himself based on things that he has been taught, and then as he tests himself against what he has been taught, then now he may recognize that the person who was teaching him had the authority to teach him. Amen. Now that's just my trying to put that together makes sense for me. And, 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 and because Paul was struggling, because people was questioning his authority as an apostle. So he keep coming back to this mindset of letting them know, hey, I got this authority, but you guys are lucky because I've never used it on you. I, I love you and I found this church, so I never want to exercise the authority that I have. So that's why he did a lot of reasoning with this church. Yes, sir. Look at verse 7. Now, he says, him and his team, he says, we pray. You know, I had to stop right there, just that we pray. You know, when you go back and read First and Second Corinthians, you see all the stuff they did to him? You won't know that. That's a good examination now. Yes, it's major as you praying for the folk that's treating you wrong. See, I'm just saying, he said, we pray. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to pray for folk you like. <laughs> you know, folk that like you. But he said, now, we pray. Mm. We pray for the folk that lied on me. We pray for them. He didn't pray God get them. <laughs> and, ain't praying that I can forgive them. I mean, <laughs> but he said, we pray. Man, look here. We pray to God that you will not do what is wrong by refusing our correction. Man, we praying that, man, you know, like you're telling your children, I'm praying to God that you do what I'm asking you to do, what I'm giving to you, the instruction. I pray that you follow the instruction. Now, when you tell a child, hey, I'm praying that, that you follow the instruction, in, in that prayer, you may be even praying that and telling them you're praying and giving them a warning at the same time. Amen. I mean, I pray to God that you follow these instructions. Because if you don't, there may be consequences. 
but not for And it may not come from me. Sometimes, you know, when we try to give our children correction, it's not to correct them from us hurting them. Sometimes you're trying to correct them so they don't hurt themselves. Or they don't let other folk hurt them. And see, what we got to understand is that as we grow in this Christian life, there are going to be people that can come in our lives that can influence us from all over the place. And so therefore, when you know that you have these influences coming, you know, you got to believe that you're going to receive, if you error, you're going to receive correction from someone. Sometimes as Christians, it's difficult for us to receive correction. Used to be a time in the church, the church would correct folks. Now the church, we, we don't correct folks. We just pray and hope they don't do it instead of correcting. We just, you know, we just try to pray it away. Sometimes you got to correct some things. Just like in your kids. After you get through praying for them, sometimes you just may have to correct some things. He said, now look, I hope we won't need to, dim- oh, Lord. <laughs> Johnny, I've been praying for you, and I hope I don't have to demonstrate my authority as your daddy. I hope my prayer's working, because if they're not, then I got to demonstrate that I'm the daddy and you the child. I hope y'all getting this. Go ahead, Major. So in today's church, how, how would you exact your authority? Like, you know, back then, you know how, how Paul was saying, well, we'll excommunicate him or, you know, we'll send him before an apostle and pretty much kick him out of the church. Well, you wouldn't do that. No, no. You know, you know today, you know, even in the 29, 28, however many years now, you know, striving, I don't think we've ever really just say kick somebody out of striving. You teach the word and sometimes people receive or they don't and the word will do something. We have procedures in place, you know. I don't I can't remember the last time we got procedures. For leaders, we got procedures in place. They violate certain things, they're supposed to get sit down. Okay? Now, granted, twenty some years later. We are not as strong and as forcing some things as we used to 20 years ago. But at the same time, 20 years ago, the members of Striving walked in lockstep. There was, there was not too many people wanting to color outside the line. Because we were all trained the same way, doing the same thing, and for the most part, we walked in lockstep. And so therefore, if someone was out there cutting the food, they stood out like a sore thumb. So he said, okay, yeah, you're going to have to get sit down for six months for what you did. Nowadays, you know, you ain't got time to be policing up folk lives, man. You just preach the word. And, and I tell you all the time, unless it get back to my desk in some kind of way, I ain't looking for your issues. Right. <laughs> I ain't got time to be trying to figure out. But if something hit my desk and I got to, you know, call somebody, talk to somebody, I don't mind doing that. But, but, but I'm not trying to excommunicate people out of the church. I'm just going to teach the word. But there are churches that do have, in the Catholic church, they excommunicate. Yes, if you don't been married and you get divorced, you can get excommunicated. You can't take communion. So different churches have different policies and rules 
then they vary from church to church based upon their leadership and, and how they teach and how they present the word. So I do think discipline is still necessary, but the methods and how we do it may vary from church to church. Okay? He said now, in verse 7, he said, we pray to God that you would not do what is wrong by refusing our correction. I hope we don't need to demonstrate our authority when we arrive. Then he come back and take Spike Lee turn. Do the right thing. Spike just read the Bible. Do the right thing before we come. Even if that make it look like we have failed to demonstrate our authority. And I couldn't figure out that. He said, man, look, before we come, just do the right thing. If you, if you major, if you doing the right thing, make me look like I'm weak, I can live with that. If it make it look like I failed to demonstrate my pastoral authority by sitting you down and, you know, telling you you can't be an usher no more for six months. If it make you look weak because I didn't do it, but you did the right thing. You, so, so he did the right thing, and by him doing the right thing, then I don't have to come in and try to flex on it. But, but if someone else tried, it made you look weak. Yeah, it, it made me look weak. You should have slam dunk major <laughs> when he first did. You, you should have slammed dunk. But, but he did the right thing. And by him doing the right thing, it may make me look weak. Well, you're a weak pastor. You just let him go. Well, well Major finally did the, did the right thing. And so sometimes, you know, we got to pray that people will do the right thing. He says, now look in verse 8. For we cannot oppose the truth. The truth is that Major life can change. But we must always stand for the truth. So when majors start operating and walking in truth, I am not going to oppose the truth of God's word when it's played out in his life. Because we must always operate in the truth. And that's what we're always trying to find, the truth in accordance with the gospel. Now, because everybody got their truth out there now. It's popular. Every, you know, telling the young people, just live your truth. Well, what is your truth? What is your truth based on? This is my truth. When you listen to some people get a truth, you say, my God, that truth don't line up nowhere with the word. I mean, now people say, well, you know, truth is just relative. What do you mean? Well, if, if, you, if her believe is true, don't make no deal with the Bible say, because her believe it and two other people believe with her, that's their truth. And so what that does, it makes it look like now the word of God is no longer the word of truth because people are questioning whether or not God's word is true. And so that's why for you, you got to know in your heart and believe that this word is it's true because if you don't believe it's true, you're not going to act on it. Now look at this. In verse 9, he gets to major where I, 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 I think you was headed. You was already here. He said, now look, we are glad to seem weak if it helps show that you are actually strong. We pray 
that you will become mature. Now, the word mature means what? I think most of us understand that. You know, when we were children, everybody wanted us to grow up. And no different than the church. As a pastor or a leader, you want your flock to grow up. You want them to come here as babies. But at some point in time, you want the truth to change their life, and you want them to grow up. You, you don't want to be spoon-feed a 15-year-old Christian. Meaning mean that they've been saved for 15 years, and they still on breast milk. They can't eat no meat yet. Now, if you have to, you have to. But now, guess what? If you got in the natural, now I'm just using an example, so don't take this wrong way. Man, if you got a 15-year-old mouth full of teeth, and he's still sucking the bottle, something wrong with that. I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about nothing naturally wrong with the kid like that. But I'm just talking about everything else is about him seeming to be okay. But this rascal just refused to eat. Something wrong with that. I mean, so if we have an expectation for our children in the natural progression of growth, God has an expectation too. He expects us to grow. So as our kids, they chart children now. They can tell you at three years old, based upon your child's gender and all that, they got a, a scale to say how tall they ought to be if they're growing normal, how much they ought to be weighing, and all that stuff. They done mapped this thing out. So they can tell you, hey, for some reason, your child is not progressing, progressing like he or she should be. And so I'm believing that if we allow the Holy Spirit to work with us, he can tell us, hey, Major is not growing. Fred ain't growing. They're the same place they were seven years ago. And I think Latham was talking about this on Sunday. Well, why is that? Is it because the diet ain't good? They ain't getting good food? I mean, here at Striving, you're going to get food whether you want it or not. That's why we don't do a whole lot of whooping and singing to you. Because we're going to feed you. Now, what you do with it is up to you. And that's the frustrating thing about it is you feed a healthy diet to folks, and then with that diet, they ain't growing. So now you wonder, do I need to change the diet? Or do I just say, I know I'm feeding them all the nutrients that they need in the world. For some reason, for some reason, these rascals just, these rascals just don't want to grow up. Man, that can be frustrating. I mean, you're giving your children all the food they need, and they ain't growing at all. Now, we all grow differently. Don't, don't get quiet right there when we start talking about growing. Now, I don't know where you are in your walk. And, and, you know, spiritual growth ain't got nothing to do with age. And ain't got nothing to do with how long you've been saved. There's some folks who've been saved 40 years, and they're still babies. And there's some folks who've been saved a year, and they take this word and believe it's true, and they act on it, and they're a lot more mature than someone that's 40 years old. But regardless, the expectation is that you're going to grow. You're going to mature. And Paul said, look, man, I, I, he was happy because he was praying that they will become mature. He said, now look, in verse 10, I am writing this to you before I come, hoping. Somebody say hoping. hoping. Again, he had an expectation. Hoping that I won't need to deal severely with you when I do come. For I want to use the authority of the Lord the Lord has given me to strengthen you 
and not tear you down. He said, look, I'm coming and hoping that because you are growing, I will continue to build you up and not use the authority that God has given me to tear you, tear you down. And sometimes that's a, a thin line to know when you got to tear something down and start rebuilding it versus when you ought to just continue building on a platform that's already been started on and see growth in that person's life. Amen. And the thing that makes that difficult as we look in on different people is, man, God, you know, maybe if I was God, I, I probably, now that I know what life is all about and how we're going to live for so long and then we got to die, I mean, if I was God, I would have just told everybody what the infinite line going to be. So you know you're going to get to 80, that's it. I mean, that's it. You ain't going past 80 or 70. So you know that, hey, you expect God to come at that. But he didn't tell us that. So some people die before 70, some people live longer. And, and, and there are certain things that say, man, if I was God, I wouldn't have gave them free will. I wouldn't have let them have a choice. But God did that for whatever reason. He saw fit to give us free will. What you were saying about, and you had said earlier about you're used to a certain thing. Well, so would you say like uh, before now, I, I can't put a date on it, but when we used to attend church before, I mean, there are times when the only person that had a Bible in the church was the pastor. Yeah. And he wasn't using it. So you go through years of that. And let's just say you're 50 years old and I'm not used to uh, a church that teaches what the Bible says or even reading it for myself because I'm used to all my life. I went to a church where somebody preached to me. Don't do this. Don't do that. Not not teaching me the word, but more or less chastising me about what I was doing wrong. And, reading the word. and that was a lot of how I know Baptists. We, we heard the hooping and the hollering. And then afterwards, we ate. And then we would do that Sunday after Sunday. Now, there was, there was Bible school, but it wasn't like the Bible was being taught. This is what this means. This is, this is what this means. This is what Jesus was saying. This is the Old Testament. You know, specific things about learning the Bible. I think it's different now, but, but then uh, not so much. And I think that goes back to styles and, 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 and the art of preaching, you know, in our culture, you know, uh, uh, the style of preaching was designed, you know, we, we was preaching for effect. We, we, there was a certain response that we wanted. And so therefore, when you want that response, you don't, you ain't trying to teach somebody enough what they're thinking. You're trying to control what they're thinking so they would do what you want them to do. And so, therefore, if I know that in the end of my sermon, I got to have y'all on your feet dancing and shouting, I can't be reading like I'm doing right now. <laughs> we pray that you will mature. Ain't nobody going to get up. You know, like, yeah, I'm mature. Now, I got to do something with that. So I'm going to have to sing that with, with y'all. Well, <laughs> I'm praying. Can I get a witness? You know what I mean? I got I to gotta now attack your emotion and get your feelings into that passage. And now that may get you. And then I got to have somebody on the drums over there and, and, and the music. Because I got to get the effect. 
And so that's what I was brought up. And, that's, and we thought, I'll never forget, man, the first time I went and preached to my mom in them church, man, and, and they, were, they, they, they believed in that music piece, man. They believed in that music piece. And I got up there and read my text, and I had good examples and all that, but I ain't sing at the end. There was no jubilation. You know? And, I, and man, I thought I don't preach a good message. And afterwards, she said, baby, you did all right. But you ain't have no gravy. <laughs> you, you, gave, you, gave us a good, you gave us a good meal, but there wasn't no gravy on it, man. I said, Mom, what you want me to do? I can't say. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. And so all of that kind of working, I can't, I can't say that p- people learn more in one setting than the other, but I do know that their ministries vary and there are people that like that style of worship. And so they will go to church sometime and say, man, I don't, I don't feel like we had church today. And you done read two chapters in the Bible and, and done went through it and, and exegeted and told them what it means. They walk and say, yeah, we ain't had church today. Because <laughs> he didn't speak to my feelings. He didn't get there. The choir didn't bring me where I want to go. And some people expect that. So you gotta got to have a balance. If you got a good balance, you can do both. But, but I'm a firm believer. Jesus was a teacher more than a preacher. And, and so his disciples taught. So we have to be taught the word, but if we can bring it with excitement and we can bring it with music and all that to make it better, to get the point across, I'm all for that. Use all that to make it happen. But don't come to church just for the performance. You, you got to come to church looking for to be taught something that you can p- apply to your life. Amen. Brother Fred? Well, well, Pastor, I think a lot of times when we are not taught, you know, a lot about the Holy Spirit, you know, we, we, we're looking for something to connect to our emotions. So even though truth is taught, if the Holy Spirit is not dwelling on the inside of you, that truth has nothing to connect with. But, you know, if you've been brought up in an emotional setting, and you get up there and you holler and run back and forth all the time, then you can reach my emotion, but my spirit hadn't been touched. Because the truth that you gave out when you were just teaching regular and speaking the truth, it had nothing on it. I had nothing on the inside to grab hold of that. But if you start to scream and shout, my emotion will meet that with your preaching. Amen. You know, and, 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 and you know, since we just talking, this is Bible study, in public speaking, just like preaching, they teach you how you're supposed to read the room. And you're supposed to see when certain words resonate with certain people by the way they respond, by the way they twitch in their seat, by the way their eyes and stuff open. And that's supposed to be your cue that I need to stay right there now because I've hit a nerve. And because I've hit that nerve, I want to get a response, and people will respond to stimuli. That's why music is so important, and it can do, it can either, it can get you excited, or music can calm you down. Amen. And, and so, when it comes to this word, you got to allow the word to energize your spirit, man. And if they got a good choir, I ain't got no problem with good singing, I love good singing and all that. But man, I can be reading the pastor's scripture, and the hair stand up on the back of my head, man, because of, Whoa! Man, that's some power in that scripture right there. That thing makes sense to me now. But, you know, some people read it and they, and they don't allow the spirit of God to minister to them so they can experience God's word as they're reading it 
and as they're studying it. It just becomes a story instead of a revelation. I'm getting a revelation that God is trying to show me something in this. When we're talking about Paul and we're talking about how he dealt with the Corinthian church and how he challenged them to test it. Man, you ought to leave out here tonight with nothing else but, hey, I'm going to go home and do a test. I'm going to self-test myself. I mean, that ought to be the teaching point for tonight. Just that one, two words there. We could have made a whole sermon right there. If I was in the Baptist church, test yourself. Examine yourself. You know what you're getting on your card today. Major, you're going to get an A. Yeah. Or do you feel like a B plus is where you're at? I don't know. But God says, test yourself. You, can, you, can I get a witness? We need to test. Can I, oh, test. And you may say, oh, I got it now because Pastor really brought that thing. He has some energy with it. But I just read that and, and I felt the same way just reading. <laughs> Anthony, leave me alone. Okay, let me go ahead and finish this. And so when you look at that, man, you go back tonight and you read that over again, I guarantee you if you open your heart up to receive it, you'll see some things that, that you don't see right now as we're going through it. Now look at Paul's final greeting to them. He says, dear brothers and sisters, I'm in verse 11, I will close my letter with these last words. Then he gives some, some things they need to do, some little short command. He says, now, don't think about it, Major. Be it. That's right. He said, don't think you're going to be joyful. Don't think joyful. Be joyful. Be joyful. You know what joy does? It expresses great pleasure and happiness. So now, I ought to be able to just read that, and he said, be it, and I shouldn't need a choir to allow you to be joyful, help you to be joyful. If you receive that word, he says, be, whether you got a choir or not, joyful. Show some expression that you're happy about what the Lord has done in your life. Understand that the joy of the Lord is your. And so what I'm trying to tell you, the word of God is powerful enough and we'll open our hearts and minds up to receive it. We can follow the instructions. But now some people say, well, you know, I'm just not an emotional person. You lying. I mean, everybody got some emotion. Don't just lies. I mean, we come to church and we lose our emotion. And the Bible tells us, be joyful. So what does joyful mean to you? Act like you got great pleasure and happiness. Be happy about something. If nothing else, you ought to be happy because you're living. Then he says, Major, he come back at him. Grow to maturity. Don't just jump and shout and dance and you ain't growing. Grow to maturity. Then he tell them to do what? Encourage. I mean, you got to support one another. You got to give each other hope. Because there are people who come to church all the time in a state of hopelessness. So he said, when you're in tune with the people that you go to church with, you got to be able to pick up on that and know when to encourage each other. Amen. Then he said, now look, if y'all going to be a church body, y'all got to learn how to live in like, a, like an orchestra that's playing a, a song with all these different instruments, but they sound like one unit playing together. So he tells, you would think he wouldn't have to tell the church to live in. But Brother Herb, these are folks who had gifts. The Holy Spirit was there, but he got to tell them to live in and peace. Because if not, you'll start a war right there. 
In the church, you have a war right, right there in the. Now look, y'all, this, this one you got to go back and look at this is the condition. Now look what he said. Now I'm going to get serious right here. He said, now look, dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words, with this command. Be joyful. Be mature. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. Then that little word that we often jump that right there, then. So he looked like he's telling us, Major, if you don't have those conditions met, then the God of love and peace, he says, will be with you. If you meet those. So he said, look, if you be joyful, if you grow, if you encourage one another, if you live in harmony and peace, then. If you ain't doing those in the church, then you ain't going to have no peace and love. Because he said, then the God of love and peace will be with you. Wow. So we just jump on and we just got the God of love is in the house. No. No, ain't no joy in the house. Because God's joyful. Ain't nobody growing and God expects that. We ain't encouraging one another. We ain't living in harmony. And we ain't living in peace. They want to know why, why the spirit lower in the church. Well, you ain't got no joy. You mad at your brother. <laughs> you ain't speaking to your sister. I mean, they want to, well, why the spirit ain't moving? See, oftentimes we think that because we come to church, the spirit ought to just automatically move. When it makes Paul look like there ought to be some conditions that we meet in order for the spirit to have room to operate. And I'm done. He says, then the God of love and peace will be with you. Then he go back and say again, greet each other with Christian love. All of God's people here send you their greeting to the, from the place he was at. He says, now, may, and this right here is powerful because in several passages uh, throughout his letters, Paul make it clear, you know, that, 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 that there is a Godhead that's, right. that's composed of three parts. Right. And so just like Jesus, when he got baptized as a son, he said, you know, he saw the dove descending down like the spirit, and he heard the father say, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. Paul counted to all three of those components right here in this passage. Amen. He says, may the grace of the favor of the Lord, Jesus Christ, the love of God, agape love, the God type of love, and the fellowship, the association, what Fred's always talking about, of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Man, if all three of those components are operating in us, man, if we're operating in God's favor and God's grace of Jesus' favor and, and, and Jesus' grace, and then we got God's love working in us and through us two people, man, and the fellowship and the Holy Spirit got us associated with one another like we should, man, striving to be booming. Amen. In the church, it'll be booming. If you got all three of those components in the church, the church will be So we got to understand is that as Christians, as he was telling these Corinthians, man, there's some powerful lessons in here that we can learn as a church today when it just comes to these little simple things that he said in these last couple verses of his greeting. So I pray that, you know, as we wrap up 2 Corinthians, 
that, man, if you haven't been with us the whole time and you're a Bible scholar, go back and read the whole book, man, so, so that the ending will make sense to you because you've gone back and read the other chapters because we done worked our way through that whole first and second Corinthians and it makes this whole letter and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the context of it make a whole lot more sense. The last thing, those of you who were here the whole time, you can see Paul's tone did change a little bit. This letter was a lot milder than the first letter. So they got better. Amen. He still had to correct some things, but apparently they were making some progress. Amen. Are there any last comments before we dismiss and I give you some announcements before we leave? Any comments? Any comments? Again, the teaching point for tonight, examine to see if your faith is genuine. 